in chapter 6, verse 1, we have someone who can't fall asleep. King Achishverosh, the night in between the banquets, he cannot fall asleep. So Haman is meanwhile busy um, working on the gallows. He can't wait for the morning to come so he can ask Achishverosh for permission to hang Mordechai on those gallows and once and for all be done with Mordechai. It's that night, verse 1, the king's sleep was disturbed. He ordered that the book of records, the chronicles, be brought, and they were read before the king. He can't fall asleep. He's asking, can someone please read me a story so I can fall asleep? Now, obviously, um, there's more to it than that. Yeah, um, so, as we said, whenever it mentions the king in the Megillah, it's really also referring to God, the king of the world. So it says the king's sleep was disturbed. God doesn't sleep, obviously. It says in Psalms, the garden of Israel neither slumber nor sleeps. But, um, so to speak, God was sleeping. He was trying to close his eyes to what's going on to the Jews. But now, after this three-day fast, and everyone is, is all the Jewish people are crying and then doing their repentance. Um, so now, God's sleep, so to speak, stopped. He said, okay, fine, I'm going to take a, a look at what's going on with the Jewish people, and I'm going to be saving them. And the Medrash says that Achishverosh had fallen asleep, but he had such a terrible dream and such a nightmare, he woke up, and in his, what was he dreaming about? That Haman was coming over with a sword, ready to kill him. What's going on? We said one of the reasons that Esther invited both Haman and Achishverosh to the banquet, why not just her own husband, the king? Why not just Achishverosh? Ah, to make Achishverosh be jealous of Haman. What's going on? Why is Esther inviting Haman to a private party between us? Is she plotting something together with Haman? So Achishverosh is really not sure. So he's tossing and turning. Could he trust Haman? Or could he not trust this guy? And he's trying to think, maybe, says the Talmud, maybe... Who's going to help me now? Who's going to save me now? Maybe it ever happened that someone saved me and I never rewarded them for it. And if so, why would people now be running to come save me if anything goes wrong? If anyone comes to stab me, or if, if it's Haman, whoever it is, maybe people aren't willing to to let to notify me in advance that, that there's a plot against me because I never said a proper thank you in the past when I was saved from a proper plot. I don't remember anything like that happening I wonder if there was ever such a story. So, please, someone, bring me my book of Chronicles. Please show me, please start reading to me stories, to things that happened to me where I can find out if maybe I was ever ungrateful, if I, I ever not show my proper thank you to who sa whoever saved my life. And we see in verse 2, it was found written that Mordechai had informed on Bixon and Seresh, two of the king's chamberlains from the threshold guards, who had planned to assassinate King Achashverosh. Looks kind of interesting. It says, it was found written, as we said back then, that it was one of Haman's sons who was in charge of, of writing down the stories. He was not interested in writing this story that Mordechai, the Jew, had saved Achashverosh's life. But it was found written. It got written down anyways. We're also told, the Medrash says that that night, the guy in charge of reading stories for the king was one of Haman's sons also. And he did not want to uh, to read this story. But every time he opened the book, it kept on flipping to that story. And eventually, even the page just started reading itself because Haman's son refused to reach to read such a positive story about a Jew. And in the Hebrew, 
we were saying it over here as Bixon and Seresh, those two guards. We remember the story of the guards that they uh, plotted to assassinate the king and Mordechai overheard them and passed on the message to Esther who told the king that their names were Bixon and Seresh. In the Hebrew written over here is Bixonna um, was Seresh. There is an extra Aleph at the end of Bixon and an extra Vav or the Vav stands for and Seresh in front of Seresh. So why is there this this Aleph, the letter Aleph added to the end of the name of Big Son? Because really, when they had written down the story about Mordechai saving the king's life, they didn't want to do it in a positive way. They had to write it down. Fine, they wrote it down. But they changed it that it said one of those two guards had been plotting to kill the Jews. They both, uh, to kill Ahasuerus, they both were were um, executed but we're not probably it is one or the other so they wrote down Bixon, oi alavov which stands for or seresh they're the ones who made this trouble one of them made the trouble they were both executed which means that mordechai is responsible that yes the right guy was executed, but also an innocent guy, because we're not sure which one of those two, it was Bixon, Oi, or in Hebrew, Seresh. But God made it that the word Oi, which means or, got split up. The Aleph went to the end of Bixon, the Vav went to the beginning of Seresh, and that's how we have that it says Bixon and Seresh. So no, no, no innocent people. It's not or this guy or that guy was responsible, which means that the other one was executed innocently. No, they were both. Bixon and Seresh were responsible, were both guilty, and therefore both executed. And you cannot say that Mordechai is the cause of an innocent person being executed. Chap, uh, verse 3, the king asked, what splendor and honor has been accorded to Mordechai for this? Nothing was done for him. The king's attendant replied, Oopsies, this is exactly what Ahasuerus is looking out for. Was there ever such a case that someone saved his life and he did not thank them properly? And, yep, they found the story. Mordechai saved the king's life and he was not thanked properly. So the Talmud says, you see the commentary written on the verse 3 on the handout, the Talmud says that their reply was not out of love for Mordechai, but... And this is according to the opinion that it was not Haman's sons, but other people working in the palace, but hatred for Haman. And how can we see this? When we go back in the, in the, in the, the book of Genesis, we have a story of uh, Joseph and his brothers. And Jacob, their father, really enjoyed Joseph the most. And the brothers were very jealous of Joseph. And eventually they wanted to kill him. They didn't kill him. They sold him as a slave, where eventually he ended up in Egypt. But then they were stuck. What are they going to tell their father, Jacob? So they took off his special clothes, his robe and his special clothes. They ripped it up. They splattered animal blood, goat blood on it to make it look like it was Joseph's blood. And they went to show it to Jacob and say, hey, do you recognize these clothes? And they wanted Jacob himself to say, Oh, for sure I recognize this. This is my son's. This is Joseph's. And he must have been teared apart by a wild animal. But they're not mentioning that that's the story what happened. 
So here we see in the comment, when the brothers showed Jacob Joseph's bloodied shirt, they said to him, recognize, please, is this your son's shirt? They didn't say, is this Joseph's shirt? Is this your son's shirt? And Jacob answered, my son's shirt, a savage beast devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to bits. So why does Jacob talk about an animal has killed Joseph and not a person? Like, why would he even assume it's an animal? Because when the brothers asked Jacob, is this your son's shirt? He was wondering why they're not referring to Joseph by his regular name. Why are they saying, is this your son's shirt? Why not say, is this Joseph's shirt? So this brought him to the conclusion that the brothers hated Joseph so much that they didn't even want to mention his name. And he thinks, hmm, maybe they're actually the ones who killed Joseph. He doesn't want to accuse them openly. So he says, oh, a wild animal must have done that. Because a lot of the, the brothers, who later turn into the, the 12 tribes, are referred to, are alluded to, um, are likened, I'm sorry, to different animals. So here, in this case, when he says, oh, animals must have done it, he was really referring to his children. Because if they don't even want to mention Joseph's name, they must really be hating him this much. So now here, Achishverosh asked what honor, we're going to use that same logic to this case now. Since Achishverosh asked, Achishverosh asked what honor or dignity had been conferred on Mordechai for this, for having saved the king's life, they should have answered, nothing has been done for Mordechai. But since they replied, nothing has been done for him, without mentioning the name Mordechai, it was obvious that they didn't like Mordechai. They didn't want to say, well, nothing was done for Mordechai. They're not trying to, to get things positive for Mordechai. They were just doing it out of hatred for Haman. Anyways, talk about perfect timing. Look in verse 4. Who is in the courtyard? asked the king. Just then, Haman had come to the outer courtyard of the king's chambers to tell the king to hang Mordechai on the gallows he had prepared for him. Mor Haman can't wait. Can we somewhat call it that it's the morning already? Wonderful. I'm going to run in and ask Achishverosh to just for permission to please hang up Mordechai on the gallows that we've been busy building the whole night already. Um, obviously, this is perfect timing. If you think about how Achishverosh is worried about who is plotting against him, maybe Haman is plotting against him. He's just had his nightmare that Haman has his sword and is coming to kill him. And the next thing you know, he hears footsteps and who walks in? Haman. And Achishverosh is a little more suspicious now that what is this Haman guy doing so early in the morning coming to visit me? It's probably um, because he has uh, terrible plans in mind for me. But we'll re also read the comment that is written on the handout. Why in the middle of the night when his sleep is disturbed, does Achishverosh suddenly ask, who is in the court? What do you care that there's footsteps coming in? It's not your business to find out who's walking around. That's the guard's business. That's that's the secretary's business. Why does Achishverosh have to call out, hey, who's walking around over there? So it cannot be expected that the king himself should attend to all the details of his government. Therefore, in all governments, there are chiefs of staff who see to it that the protocols are properly maintained and that nothing happens which can embarrass the king. When the book of records was being read, Achishverosh was reminded of the great favor Mordechai had done for him. 
Then he asked, what honor and dignity has been done for Mordechai as a reward for having saved my life? And Ahasuerus is told that nothing has been done for him. And this shocks Ahasuerus greatly, and he asks, who is in the court? He's not asking who is walking, whose footsteps am I hearing, who's coming into my, who's about to step into my room. He's asking who is the one in charge of making sure that such things don't go unnoticed. Who should have been making sure that Mordechai gets rewarded properly? But right then is when Haman was coming in. He didn't know what what Achishverus was mean while talking about what's happening. So the king's young man told Achishverus, "Look, there's Haman." He is the guy, the chief of staff over the court. He is responsible to see that such oversights don't occur. And guess what? He is about to walk into your room right now as we speak. So they're right away shifting the blame. No, it's not one of us. We forgot to remind you to to reward Mordechai or whatever. The guy who should have been doing that is the guy who's actually about to come into your room. As we see in verse 5, Haman is standing in the courtyard. The king's attendants answered him. Let him come in, said the king. So we have verse 6, Haman entered, and the king said to him, What should be done for a man whom the king wishes to honor? Now Haman said to himself, Who would the king wish to honor more than me? Now as we're going to read through the next few verses, keep in mind what is going on in people's heads over there. Haman is full of himself, thinks he's on top of the world. He gets invited to personal meetings between the king and the queen. And there's no one more special and more important than him. He feels on top of the world. At the very same time, we have Ahasuerus, who is not sure what's going on. He's not sure who he could trust. He knows his wife, Esther, is worried about something and she'll only be letting him know tonight what's happening. He knows that he can't expect people to to save him from assassination plots or whatever because he has this old story happening that Mordechai had saved his life and he never rewarded him. So he's now not sure who he could trust. He doesn't trust Haman. Why is Haman being invited to personal meetings between the king and the queen? Why is Haman popping up in, in the king's palace so early in the morning? So with that in mind, let's read the next few verses. Verse 7, so Haman said to the king, I'm sorry, verse 6, Haman entered, and the king said to himself, I'm sorry, let's try this again. Verse 6, Haman entered, and the king said to him, What should be done for a man whom the king wishes to honor? Now Haman said to himself, Who would the king wish to honor more than me? So we see Haman's background thinking is, I'm the most important, I'm about to get rewarded even more. And Ahasuerus is testing... Who who does Haman think wants to be honored? Is he all about himself? Does he have his eyes set on the throne or something? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. So Haman said to the king, For man whom the king wishes to honor. Ah, verse 8. Let them bring a royal garment that the king has worn, and a horse upon which the king has ridden, and upon whose head the royal crown has been placed. Verse 9, let the garment and the horse be entrusted in the hands of one of the king's noble ministers, and they shall dress the man whom the king wishes to honor, and lead him on the horse through the city square, proclaiming before him, so is done for the man whom the king wishes to honor. 
let's keep in mind the background thoughts Heyman thinks this is all about a reward he's about to get what is something he's thinking what is something he would love to get for himself he would love to be paraded around town the king's special clothes and the king's special horse and that everyone should give him respect and honor almost like he's the king himself and remember what Achishverosh is worried about does Heyman really want to become king himself and that is exactly what the, what is implied by Haman's answer. What is Haman, who thinks that the reward is about to be given to him, is talking all about being on the royal horse and all the the royal stuff happening to him. That confirms Achishverosh's suspicion that he cannot trust Haman at all. But verse 10, the king said to Haman, hurry, take the garment and the horse, just as you have said, and do just so. For Mordechai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, do not leave out a thing from all that you suggested. So, um, let's read just the comment that is on the handout under verse 10. Hurry! When Esther told Achishverosh at the banquet that she would not reveal her request until the next day, he was puzzled. What did she want? During the sleepless night that followed, that we were just talking about, they read to him from the Book of Records that Mordechai did not receive a befitting reward for saving the king's life. So suddenly it dawned on the king that perhaps this was what Esther wanted to speak to him about. Therefore, he hurried Haman to quickly give Mordechai the honors due him, so that if Esther would bring it up during today's banquet, he would be able to tell her that he was very sorry for the oversight, and it was already taken care of earlier in the day. So just in case this is what Esther is worried about, or this is what Esther wants to discuss, he already has it taken care of quickly today. Alternatively, when Achishverosh came home from Esther's banquet, he couldn't fall asleep. The entire night he wondered, what are Esther and Haman up to? Why are they suddenly in cahoots? What are they planning? And he prayed that someone would come forth and reveal it to him. But when the book of records was read before him, he realized that no one would care to save him because he did not show any appreciation to one who, who did him a favor. This is what we've been mentioning for the past uh, few minutes. This is the background information we need, we need to know for what's going on in Achishverosh's thinking. So this was evident from the fact that Mordechai had saved the king's life and had received no reward or recognition for it. He also concluded that since Haman was so powerful, nobody would dare to say anything negative about him. So, ah, you forgot to properly thank Mordechai and everyone knows that the king forgot to show his thanks to Mordechai. And he also knows that nobody will tell the king if Haman is plotting anything against um, against Achishverosh because he is so powerful. So ah, here he has the perfect solution. Therefore, he issued an order to quickly reward Mordechai, adding that the reward should be given by none other than Haman. So thus, everyone would see that the king does recognize those who do him a favor. And that his well-being was more important to him than Haman's honor. Consequently, anyone with information about Haman's plans could come forth and reveal without fear and they would be handsomely rewarded. Yes, everyone, I'm showing you I'm rewarding Mordechai for him saving my life. See, it is worth it to come let me know if people are planning against me. And don't worry about speaking out against Haman. Look, I'm, I'm making him do a lowly job over here, honoring another person just to show everyone you don't have to worry if if you're worried that you can't speak up against such a big guy Haman you could I'm higher than him if Haman is plotting anything against me please make sure to let me know 
Verse 11, so Haman took the garment, dressed Mordechai, and led him through the city square, and proclaimed before him, so is done for the man whom the king wishes to honor. Quite obviously, this is not something that Haman wanted to be doing. So why did Haman agree to suffer such humiliation? Why didn't he just say, well, I'm not the right man for this job. Let someone else do it. Because Haman knew very well that if he would commit suicide, if he would say, I'm not doing this, and then Ahasuerus says, you're not listening to me, out you go. Or even without Ahasuerus involved, Haman says, I'd rather commit suicide than, than show honor to a Jew. But then, if he does that, then his whole decree against the Jewish people will be nullified. Nobody will be willing to pick up the fight against killing all the Jews. So he was ready. Fine, I'll suffer total humiliation temporarily. But at least then I'll be able to continue my plan of killing the Jews. And he quickly had to go get um, Mordechai. And said, Mordechai, you have to come put on the king's clothes, royal clothes. And Mordechai said, you know, I've been wearing sack, um, ashes and sackcloth. I've been mourning. I've been weeping. I've been re doing repentance. I've, I, I can't put on royal clothes like that. So he said, okay, fine. I'll take you to the bathhouse. I'll wash you up. He said, well, I can't go anywhere. I'm, I'm, I've been fasting for three days. I'm very weak. And he said, fine, okay, I'll help you get up on the horse. I'll, I'll take care of you. So it was even more humiliating for Haman. But fine, he's, he puts Mordechai on top of the royal horse and he's walking around with him um, on the city streets of Shushan. And everyone is having a great time seeing Mordechai being honored on top of the horse and Haman leading him in front of the horse. And then we see verse 12 that then Mordechai returned to the king's gate. Right, The story was over. The honor parade is done. While Haman hurried to his house, miserable, his face covered. And we have a really fun story that uh, Talmud tells us that um, it's, it's in the comment, but I'll just tell it to you that Haman was walking around with Mordechai on the horse. Now, Haman's daughter was looking from up high in her house and she... From on top, she only sees someone dressed in royal clothes on the horse. And in front of him, someone walking around saying, that shall be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. And she assumes that she knows exactly what's happening. Who would the king wish to honor more than her own papa, Haman? And being that Haman came in the morning to ask permission to get Mordechai hung up on the gallows, who would be more fitting to, as a last job, walk around in front of Haman's horse, telling everyone that thus shall be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. That must be Mordechai, right? So she is very convinced that the guy sitting on the horse is Haman, and the guy walking in front is Mordechai. And she wants to add a little bit more uh, pain to Mordechai, and she figures as soon as they walk under the window where she is standing, she's going to throw out a bucket full of grossness. Um... So she, um, as they walked past, and she threw the garbage on top of the guy walking in front of the horse. Or really, the garbage was a chamber pot, indoor toilet from back then. She emptied out on the guy walking in front of the horse. Now Heyman looks up like, hey, who just did that? And she sees, oopsies, I just humiliated my father. 
instead of Mordechai. And she actually threw herself out of the window or from the roof. She committed suicide. So that's how Haman ends up being covered. So the parade is over and Haman has to take the special clothes off of Mordechai, return them to their uh, the royal cleaners or whatever they had back then and bring the horse back to the stable. And, oh, he goes back home and he is utterly disgusting and smelly and gross. And we see in verse 13, Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends about all that had happened to him. And his wife, oops, sorry, his wise man and his wife Zeresh told him, if this Mordechai, before whom you have begun to fall. As of Jewish descent, you'll not prevail over him, for you'll certainly fall before him. So, the comment over here on the verse 13 says, What normal person would tell everyone of the embarrassment and humiliation he suffered? Why is Haman telling his friends and family, Oh, you won't believe what happened to me today. I came in the morning to the king's palace to ask him for permission to hang up Mordechai on the gallows, and instead, look what humiliation I suffered. Why would he say the whole story in detail? So after the first banquet, if you remember, Haman sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh and told them his wealth and his prominence, right? And as well that he is super duper upset at Mordechai. And they suggested he makes the gallows, goes to the king in the morning, get Mordechai hung in it. Well, Haman followed their advice. And meanwhile, they stayed home eagerly waiting for Haman to come back and say that, yes, I got the permission from the king and got Mordechai hung up. But when he came home, despondent and utterly filthy, as we know, present of his dear daughter, so they were startled by what he looked like. And they asked him, wait, what's going on? What happened to you? And he was forced to tell them what happened. So he says, oh, a coincidental happening in the Hebrew, karahu, everything that happened to it just happened to happen to him. It was his misfortune to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. If he wouldn't have come to the king that early in the morning, then the king would have been able to ask one of the other servants to do this. But whatever. But I'm sure Achishverosh is still very happy with me. And okay, I didn't have a chance yet to discuss my Mordechai hanging issue with him. But I'm sure um, uh, once you know we're done with honoring Mordechai, I'm sure Achishverosh will give me will give permission to hang Mordechai. Um, but they say, no, no, his wife and friends tell him, no, this is all just the beginning of the end. You can't, we thought, we thought we could start up with the Jews. We thought we could start up hanging up Mordechai, but no, this, this is not, uh, this is not happening. Your, your downfall has already started. Sorry. Um, why over here do we... Earlier, we read about his friends, but here we're talking about Haman's wise men. So, it says in the Ethics of Our Fathers, any love that is dependent on a specific consideration, when the consideration vanishes, the love ceases. But due to his high position in the government and the power he had, many people became Haman's friends. But you know, guy in a high position, let's be buddies with him. But now, realizing that his downfall was imminent, the end of Haman has started, so these, these friends that were never really Haman's friends to begin with, they separated themselves from him. So they were no longer his friends, but they were just, we can't call them friends, we can call them advisors and wise men. And what advice did they give him? Well, when Haman came home and told his family and friends the humiliation he had experienced, 
And he said, it's just, you know, coincidence. It just happened. And now I'll be able to go back to plan A and getting rid of Mordechai. But then the wise men told him, no, no, no. Mordechai is from the Jewish people. And apparently his God is about to save Mordechai and his people. The only, only solution for you right now, Haman, bow to Mordechai. Beg him to forgive you. And you know, remember the story we mentioned earlier, how Mordechai was really from King Saul, and King Saul had compassion on the, the king of Amalek. Haman, you come from Amalek. Mordechai comes from King Shaul. There's already precedent for this, that King Shaul had compassion on Amalek. So maybe now too, Mordechai will have compassion on you. Just please ask him for forgiveness, and maybe that will... Uh, will help you. And that's what we see later when Haman, we're going to see in a later chapter, when Haman sends the king's intention to execute him, he tried to follow this advice. He was falling on the couch upon upon which Esther was to beg for his life, hoping that she would forgive him. Because he said, my wise man told me that in the past this happened. You're a descendant of King Saul. I'm a descendant of Agag, the king of Amalek, just like in the past, your ancestor forgave mine and had mercy on him. Please, so you should have mercy on me. But it didn't work because Ahasuerus entered the room just in time to see what's going on. And he said, well, you're attacking Esther in my palace, as we'll see in, um, in chapter 7. And now we have just one more verse in this chapter, verse 14. While they were still talking with him, the chamberlains of the king arrived, and they rushed to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So while Haman is covered in grossness, and he's talking to his wife and advisors that are not his friends anymore, um, it's already time for the next banquet. And he doesn't even have time to clean himself up, because they say, hurry up. You can't be late to the special banquet with the king and the queen. Haman, you got to come on time. Come with us right now. So he's not dressed appropriately. He is smelly like anything. And he's being brought to the, to the banquet. Now we have here a comment that we could really technically use for the next um, chapter. But we'll just mention it over here. Because when the king asked Esther at the first meal, the first banquet, say, Esther, please tell me what's bothering you. Tell me what you want. And she said, please come tomorrow to the banquet that I shall prepare. And tomorrow I shall do the king's bidding. As we had the, in the um, chapter 5. So then the, there's a commentator, Ibn Ezra, lived about a thousand years ago. So he explains that the reason that Esther did not want to discuss immediately. I mean, why does she go to the trouble of inviting the king for one meal and then for the next meal? She could have made her point across right at the first one, right? But she felt that there is... A lack of divine revelation happening right now. There's God is not ready yet to to come save the Jewish people. It's not the right time for this. Now, why was there no divine revelation going on? And she realized because probably Haman is sitting in the room with us, and as usual, Haman is wearing this large idol around his neck. And we know God doesn't want to appear or reveal anything if there's idols in the room. So. It's not going to work right now. Now is not a good time to ask Ahasuerus for a favor. It's not it, it, God is not willing to reveal himself, so to speak, in a room full with idols. Now, what happened during that day before the next banquet? Haman had to walk around with Mordechai, right? Now, Haman would not want to do this to his idol. That the idol shall witness such a humiliation of, of parading Mordechai the Jew around the city streets and giving him so much honor. So Haman had removed the idol for this parade. 
And as we know, he came home when he was all dirty and he's just discussing with his friends what are the next plans. He doesn't have time to put his idol back around his neck and he just gets carried back to the palace to attend the banquet. He's not wearing his idol. Ah, this is the moment Esther has been waiting for. Now, divine revelation took place and Esther saw, nah, now I have the good opportunity to besiege the king, meaning... Obviously, Ahasuerus, but even more obvious, the king of the world, God. Now she's able to besiege him. Please, please, please save the Jewish people. And that is all. This is the end of chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, we're almost on the whole Megillah, but chapter 7, we're going to have some good news happening.